This story is so epic. Think about this. Angels are greeting a king who's born on earth to save the entire world. Like, that's literally the most epic thing you could ever say. And so, like, we need an epic accompaniment soundtrack for that. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the new release today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Merry Christmas, friends. This week, we celebrate Jesus' birthday, and I wanted to share with you music that is fitting for this epic story. As I was contemplating the best musical gift I could share, I thought about The Birth of a King, a new album I heard last year from Tommy Prophet. So I asked Tommy if he would join me for this special podcast episode. If you haven't heard this album yet, I encourage you to stick around because I think this might become a new classic that you and your family play every year. And if you have heard the album, you'll want to hear Tommy talk about his inspiration and the process behind creating this soundtrack to Christmas. According to the World Health Organization, over 750 million people do not have access to clean water. In South Asia, where Mercy Inc. is working, the water that is available is contaminated with arsenic, making it a poisonous concoction that causes people to get sick and sometimes die. So Mercy Inc. and their partners are drilling deep wells to make sure that there's safe, clean water available to the community. Many of these wells are installed in mostly Muslim villages. The wells are painted blue and have the name Jesus Wells emblazoned on them, and they really stand out. As the wells are installed and maintained, the message of Jesus is being shared and people are learning about the living water of Christ as they receive the clean water that they need for life, health, and safety. According to Mercy Inc.'s statistics, nearly 300 people make a personal decision for Christ at each of these wells. Would you like to learn more about the Jesus Wells Project? Head over to christianmusicarchive.com mercy and you can help provide living water in addition to clean, safe drinking water. My guest today is an artist you've probably heard multiple times and you don't even know it. His songs have appeared on TV shows, in movie trailers, in video games, and he's also produced music for a who's who list of artists in the mainstream and in Christian circles alike. His music has received over 25 billion streams. Yes, that's with a B. I'm talking about two-time Dove Award-winning producer, performer, composer, Tommy Prophet. Welcome to the podcast, Tommy. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. 25 billion. That's just a couple. I mean, that setup. Thanks for that setup. It, it felt very deceiving. Oh. <laughs> I just sit I just sit in my house and make music, but yeah, that's, pretty you know, cool. that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, fir I first became aware of who you are. Actually, uh, we have some albums from the early 2000s that you had recorded, some independent stuff, but really digging uh -oh. into your album last year, Birth of a King. Yes. And, and it was not until I started digging in that I realized you've done a lot of music for TV and other stuff. 
that's called sync, right? Yep. Yeah, like cinema like cinematic music for like movie trailers or backgrounds in like TV scenes or or TV promos or video game trailers, you know. Okay. So let's let's talk a little bit about what you do. When you're introducing yourself to somebody who's never heard your name or doesn't know who you are, what do you say you do? Who are you? <laughs> oh man. Well, I do I do say like I feel like cinematic music really sums it up. I've kind of fallen in that lane heavily where that's yeah. where I'm most that's what I'm most known for, right? So um I I produce for a lot of artists, uh Christian music and mainstream alike, yep. like you said. But um I've really kind of fallen into kind of doing my own thing with the cinematic music where I'm releasing my own music with singers singing on these big epic productions, right? Mm -hmm. Almost like a producer artist or like a composer, if you will. Yeah. You know, like yeah. And obviously, you know, the biggest part of my story, what most people know me for is uh, NF, who's a rap artist. And he he's my buddy from Michigan. And we kind of got started together. That's our story. We got brought along and both kind of got signed him as an artist, me as a writer and producer and just kind of opened the doors to the world for both of us at the same time. So it's been fun to do that kind of together with your friend. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, just buds making music and it happened to go somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, as I was kind of getting familiar with who you are, I saw in your bio that you uh, have been making music since you were 12 years old, and you were drawn <laughs> to movie music. Yeah. How, talk about that. Man, it's funny. I mean, I, I literally, I, I had headphones on in my parents' basement. I was sitting at their computer, and I would just make music for hours. Mm. And I would make all these albums of this instrumental music and I'd sell them at my school and my church for like $3 a piece, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And, and just, just, I was just known for music. Like I was just always doing music. I just had my head down doing my own thing. I was selling albums and making stuff. And, you know, that's just kind of, that was my whole childhood. And then, um, yeah, I've, I was in, in high school. This is no joke. I always tell people this, and I don't know if people believe me, but it's true. <laughs> I literally listened to like movie trailer music in my car when I was driving. Like I didn't listen to the radio. Okay. I didn't even know what was going on on like radio. Um, I just listened to movie trailers, uh, music and movie soundtracks. Okay. You know, like late nineties, early two thousand soundtracks. Like, so like John Williams, Hans Zimmer, those kinds of things. Yeah. Hans Zimmer is like my hero. Right. Okay. But like even like Steve Jablonski and the Transformers soundtrack mm -hmm. and, Trevor Rabin did like Gone in 60 Seconds and um, like Deep Blue Sea and like those early on where it was almost like where they just started incorporating electronic sounds into mm. the orchestra as mm -hmm. well. And I was like so intrigued by that and I loved it. And I never knew that that door was even a possibility to open up later on to be able to do that stuff, you know? So that's not normal for a kid to be saying, I'm going to listen to soundtracks instead of the popular music of the day. What was it What was it that you think drew you to that? Was it that it was what you were already doing? or I think I just, I've always liked big music. Mm, mm -hmm. And everything that I produce, even because I've done a lot of um, worship stuff over yeah. the years. I've done a lot of Christian music, even the mainstream stuff, like ballads, dark, heavy trailer stuff. But it always has like this crescendo moment that has a you know a big climactic ending or somewhere it goes somewhere right and yeah. i just i don't know what it is i just i i get adrenaline from like this big sound and obviously movies naturally have that big sound an orchestra can create that you know pretty easily 
And so I just been mes- mesmerized by that sound and I just I just became addicted to it, I guess. I don't I don't know what it was. <laughs> well, now I have to be careful because I I often tell people, you know, I really like music that's played by real people playing real instruments. Mm-hmm. And you are actually programming most of what you're doing. And I watched a clip that you had on on Twitter about how you built this stuff, but it doesn't sound like most people doing MIDI sequences in their basement. <laughs> right. The sounds have come a long way from when I was 12 doing the right. same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest. Yeah. Like a couple times we've added in real live players on top of what I do. Mm-hmm. And I love that too. Like I, I'm obsessed with it, but you know, sometimes you have a quick turnaround. It's like a song's due tomorrow. And I got these libraries, which nowadays are real recordings of people actually playing, right? Oh, okay. You you basically are controlling the cello player and the violin player, you know? And so they give you a lot of parameters to be able to control that um, pretty deeply. And so I just, yeah, I just kind of fell in love with, pro- I'm a piano player. Like okay. that's my background, classically trained. So like playing the parts is just part of the fun for me to build the tracks. I like playing the parts instead of clicking in the notes mm-hmm. or booking out a string, you know, section for two weeks in advance, paying someone to do it and watching over mm. Zoom. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like in LA, yeah. like I'd rather play it because it's just fun for me to play, you know? Yeah. So you, um, what you've got now, you've got about seven or eight albums out of this cinematic music that's available for sync. And explain to folks what that really means. So a sync placement is when a a movie or a show or a game or any visual like content, right? They license your song to put under like underneath it. So in the background of a commercial, there's music playing. That's like a sync use. You know, I don't they sync the music to the video, I guess. But um, you know, I started just making these songs to pitch, you know, for mm. these kinds of things through, you know, companies that I work with. It really turned into now like people people listen. There's a lot more people like me when I was in high school listening in their car. Like they listen to this music. And for some reason, it's not like this widely known genre, right? It's not pop, hip hop, or country. Right. So it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. In the yeah. industry. But there's millions and millions of people on YouTube and Spotify. They have epic playlists. And I guess it's, you know, people that like to feel like their you know their car ride to soccer practice is super epic and it <laughs> pumps them up or when they're working yeah. out or exercising or you know any anything they're just laying in bed and they just they they feel like their life is a movie it kind of transports you in a way that you know other music doesn't necessarily yeah. and so that i just there's a lot of people that just listen to it for enjoyment um, as well as hopefully landing, you know, in some of these bigger trailers and stuff. That's that's like one of the most fun things for me to see, is, you know, these songs being used in various uh, sync uses, you know. So I have a coworker. He's a developer for our software company where I work as a trainer. But he he does kind of rock stuff that he puts out there. And he has like he'll he'll post on our chat board that he has somebody in Japan that's using it as a background for a sports show. Or something like that. That's the same kind of thing that you're doing then. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you know, sync sync is really pretty wide. I mean, there's like swaggy rock stuff. There's like dark cinematic stuff. There's like cute chimes and bells with acoustic guitar. You know what I mean? Yeah. For like a Toys R Us commercial. I mean, there's all kinds of music that can go in 
the background, you know, so I, I tend to focus on the dramatic action stuff yeah. naturally, you know, just the strings and the orchestra and like heavy drums and like soft piano minor chords. And then it builds into this big epic thing, you know? Yeah. And I put, I put, see, that's, a, that's the one thing that's a little different is it's not instrumental. Like I have singers and artists, friends of mine that write with me and we write these songs and they, you know, they, they sing words over this epic music and, and the words tie into, you know, they could be used over whether it's like a medical drama on TV, like The Good Doctor or whatever, yeah. Yeah. or it could be used in like a military show like SEAL Team or something like that, you know, and it could be about rescuing or a hero saving us or, you know what I mean? They could, it could yeah. be very wide range lyrics, but those lyrics over the music, you know, they fit in all kinds of scenes for all kinds of stuff, you know? Well, I just wish that some of the uh, – is it Dick Wolf who does like the SVU and all these things? He has the same guy oh. doing the same music for every single one of his shows. It's like, uh, you know, I know this guy named Tommy who can make your music a yeah. whole lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like a sound. The Law & Order soundtrack yeah. is definitely a, a sound. Yeah. Well, you talked a little <laughs> bit about your friendship with, with Nate, and I'm going to butcher his last name. Nate Firestein. Firestein, yeah, better known as NF. Childhood friends. So did that come first, that childhood relationship of making music or your stuff that you were doing in college as a quote-unquote pop artist? Uh, honestly, it, I was. I think I was in college or actually have graduated college when I met him. His friend, okay. who his friend was in high school, and he just sent his music around to people that did music. You know, like mm -hmm. we all did when we were younger, right? Yeah. Like his friend sent me his one of his albums that he did independently just because he knew of me from doing music in Michigan, you know, right. also. And he's from Michigan too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's from Michigan. So, yeah. you know, his friend sent it to me and said, hey, check out my friend's music. And, you know, that happened a lot, but most of the time it was like, oh, maybe you should do something else. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But this was like, whoa, this this kid is really good. And yeah. so I like made a track and sent it to him and he loved it. And we started kind of recording and, you know, we just really developed a friendship. And um, just through that, you know, one night, like we we just made some music. I built a new studio and he came over and uh, we we did a song that ended up on the desk of Capitol Records. Mm -hmm. and, and he got signed and like brought me as his teammate and it just kind of wasn't expecting that really you know what I mean it just that's the cool thing about you know it's like really developing something from the ground with your local friends and yeah. artists like that's really that's really the way to do it you know instead of just looking at all these um, teams and circles mm -hmm. that have already been developed and they're yep. you know doing stuff instead of wanting to jump into those circles and do work with them like the people around you, that's like the best way. There's so many talented people in your yeah. your school or your college or your youth group or whatever. And like just continue to develop together. And then, you know, that might be the next thing, you know, that gets signed and takes off. Well, one of the things that I started my website for was because I did notice that very small circle of musicians who played on everybody's albums. Yep. And of course, as the industry's grown and as people and technology has grown, that that has definitely widened the circle. But oh, for sure. But I think of we're talking about cinematic, and I think of you know the big chills music like you're talking about, and rap music. I don't think of those as fitting together 
but you guys do it so seamlessly and so amazingly. And it's just, I mean, in fact, didn't, didn't he went uh, with, was it the search that went number one on mainstream rap charts? Yeah. The, um, two albums, the per- perception and the search yeah. were number one albums on, you know, the billboard charts. So that was crazy, but yeah, man, like he actually loved movie music also. Mm, okay. Um, and I didn't even know that. I was just naturally pulling up strings, like, "Hey, what do you think of this?" And he just, you know, he loves strings and piano too. Very so cool. it was kind of like a, a perfect fit. And then we found this sound somewhere in the middle of what I do and what he did, and like, kind of created this unique thing, you know? Yeah. Putting trailer hits and other big sounds into a hip hop song with someone like him, who's very, you know, he's he's like a very emotional like rapper you know and mm-hmm. very passionate and so the sound just worked really well together it was awesome yeah it's cool and so how many projects have you guys worked on together we've done five albums plus an ep early on so yeah. that would be six projects fun well so, yeah we kind of started off the top of this talking a little bit about your christmas album but you have some pretty big names on that christmas album so which came from, I mean, were you going out and finding people to do these or, or were these friends that said, oh, I'm just doing this thing. You want to hang out with it? Or how did that all come about? It was crazy, man. Like so most, almost everybody on that album were friends and people I've worked with before, people I knew. There, there might be two or three names that I kind of reached out to, you know, and just, you would be perfect for this, mm-hmm. right? The funny thing about that, like that whole album, I, that was such a thing. I was, I was so passionate about that for so long. I, I literally wanted to make this album since 2005. Hmm. So it was 15 years of dreaming about this album and what would it be and writing little things throughout those years. But, you know, I mostly did it last year, all of it, you know, um, arranging it. But as I was working on the arrangement for every single song, like with the idea came a voice in my mind, like hmm. an artist, like, oh, this has, if Crowder sang this, this would be like perfect. While shepherds kept their watching, or silent flocks by night, behold throughout the heavens, there shone a holy light. The shepherds peered and trembled, I kind of slightly tailored each of those songs to their sound a little bit. Like, what would it sound like if I mixed my what I do with what he does? Right? Yeah. And I studied their ranges, their vocal ranges, and made sure that it was going to be up there for them to really be <laughs> dramatic and expressive, right? And I I planned and recorded all the music for the whole album before I even asked one of them. Oh. I had this I had this list like, all right, this Carrie Job has to sing this. You know Avril Lavigne on this and like uh, you know all these artists and then at the end I said all right let's see of this mastered wish list yeah 
let's see what happens. And every single one said yes. And Very I just cool. feel like that was that was a God thing because, yeah. you know, it, I didn't have to go with any second options or, you know, oh, well, this is choice B or whatever. Like yeah. everyone was so pumped, like, hey, this sounds amazing. And, you know, I did a couple early on, I guess, you know, like I did a couple earlier on where I would shoot the song to them. But a lot of them, they were like, all right, we're singing Oh Holy Night. And they just come in, but they they didn't even hear it yet. They just mm. came in and listened and I kind of taught them the parts or, you know, showed them what I was thinking. And they just all went for it. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Grateful call. 
almost every single person on this album sang the highest note they've ever sung before. Well, I heard that in an interview that you did with somebody last year talking about you pushed some of these vocalists to things that they didn't, they weren't aware they could do. Yeah. And they can, they just have to be pushed. I feel like, you know, a lot of times an artist will come in and these producers are like wanting them to just be so comfortable and like, Mm. all right, you do your thing. And they just kind of hit record and leave them to do what they, whatever they do. But this was like so intentional. I was like, let's together, like let's lock arms and like go for this big thing. And everyone was for it. Like they were so excited and they were like, yeah, I'm no, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. Let me keep trying. And we were warming up for, you know, a long time for some of these notes to pull these, you know, monster notes off. And the result is just so, you know, it was just amazing. You know, and I'm so thankful that they were all so willing to (laughs) every single person (laughs) left just completely dead, completely just drained and tired like they had just done a workout, you know? Yeah. Well, and for me, you know, I love Christmas music. We tend to hear it for about two months. Um, There's some of us who might play it three or four Mm. months longer, but but also most Christmas albums, like my favorite Christmas album of, of all time is Christmas is Jesus by Brian Duncan. But listening to it now, it sounds dated. This mm. album that you've done, I don't think it's going to get dated. I mean, it just has mm. this big, you know, it's like Star Wars music. That's not outdated. It's because it's cinema, I think. Right. There, well, yeah. Yeah, there's timeless instruments. Yeah. Right? The piano piano and orchestra are timeless instruments. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. how long has there been movie music and right. how long will there be like, and there'll be other things that are incorporated with it. But I really think, yeah, a cello and a piano are instruments that are here to stay in that realm. So the big goal was making a big soundtrack to Christmas. You yeah. Know? And not, not everything is just so massive and bombastic. Like there's powerful moments, but there's like down, quiet, intimate moments too. And it's just kind of like, a compelling like how, this story is so epic man like yeah. the synopsis of the christmas story yeah <laughs> i always say this like think about this angels are greeting a king who's born on earth to save the entire world yeah like that's literally the most epic thing you could ever say <laughs> yeah yeah and so like we need an epic accompaniment like soundtrack for that and that was kind of like my vision and i actually i have this tv in my studio like above where I work mm-hmm. and I put movies on mute just oh. for like visual inspiration. Yeah. Right. Sometimes. Yeah. And almost this entire process, I put on the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh yeah. Just for like the grandness and the the colors and the scheme and like the sound, I kind of wanted that to influence me a little bit and just scoring that type of grandness you know what i mean the epicness not necessarily you know like dragons and hobbits but you know (laughs) right yeah just that the big majesty of it all regal yeah Yeah. majesty like that that was kind of my inspiration i guess yeah so this the new zealand scenery is what drove this album i guess that was it (laughs) that's what did it well i'm thinking of you know when an artist puts out a song it's something that they've worked on as part of their heart and all of that kind of thing but when you're doing a remake a cover if you will you run the risk of offending the people who said, well, that's nothing like the original. And then you're talking about songs that through the years have been covered by everybody and their uncle. How do you keep those fresh? I mean, what was that process to say, this album is going to be something different, but, but you also remain true to the original? 
I had to, yeah. It was a balance. I wanted to balance. I mean, that's, how do you do that? Well, I don't know. I <laughs> spent, I thought I was going to take about six weeks to do this whole album. Mm-hmm. It, it turned into a six-month project. Like, wow. I, I don't know if I've ever been deeper in any other project ever. Hmm. And I, I literally was working 12 hours a day. I would come up at 5 a.m. in my studio and... I was at the piano working on these arrangements and I had like crumbled up papers everywhere. My hair was sticking up in the air. Like I felt like this crazy scientist, <laughs> like trying to crack these things for each song. Like every, yeah. there's 17 songs on the record. So like I wanted to make sure I kind of hit them all so I could just do it once and be done forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this was my one thing. And some of the songs kind of came more easily than others. And I wanted to make sure some songs were very true you know, like you said, to the original and um, just big, beautiful versions of them. And then a couple t- a couple of the songs I wanted to kind of re reharmonize and rearrange and like kind of do my own thing with it just to create some new, you know, a new spin on it. So not doing too much of one or the other, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? To keep everyone, okay, well, he's not going too crazy where it's just a novelty. And then after yeah. one year, no one listens to it. We heard the, you know, the minor Christmas album, like the dark minor cinematic Christmas. Like, I didn't want it to be that. I wanted it to be what could, how could I really cater to my, my like 20, 20 year old, like video game, you know, mm-hmm. player. And also my mother-in-law who has a furniture shop in Michigan, like yeah. she wants to play it in her store. Like I wanted both audiences to love this and, and make it. A, a classic timeless thing where people would bring it back every year yeah. and play it in their house when they're setting up their tree. It's their family tradition. Like, like you said, Brian Duncan's Christmas album. Like I had a couple albums growing up too, where they were like my staples and like, mm-hmm. how could I make something that was timeless that people would want to bring it back? And sometimes there was one song on this album that I just could not figure out. And I, I did 13 different ideas and I finally like, and it was, a. Uh, I'll tell you what, it was uh, Oh Come All You Faithful mm-hmm. with Sarah Reeves. And yeah. I just, do I do something different? Do I stick with the original? Does it fit with the other songs? Like all that stuff. And I just wasn't happy with it. I'm like, no, it doesn't fit. And I just kept deleting the Pro Tools session and restarting. And I was like three weeks out from the album needing to be turned in, like wow. mixed and mastered and everything. And I had nothing for that song. And I just, it finally came like at the very last second. Oh, Oh. Uh-huh. 
but yeah, it was like really, I was very intentional to try to like figure out that balance the best I could, you know, and make it interesting and something that people would want to bring back instead of listening once as a concept and then being done with it. Well, you've kind of mentioned this a little bit in, in your story, but um, obviously you have a relationship with Jesus that affects what you do. You went to a Bible college, you work with a lot of Christian artists. I would be interested, and because just because you do that stuff doesn't make you a Christian, um, mm. but I, I would be yeah. very interested in hearing your testimony and your journey to faith. For me, it's very encouraging to hear people say, this is how Jesus became real to me. And it can mm. be a simple story. It could be a, you know, God saved me from drugs or whatever. But every single one of those stories is powerful. And I think it's very encouraging. So how was it that you became a personal follower of Jesus? And then I want to get into a little bit about, you talked about your opportunity now to take this faith to the world in the mainstream. And so we'll we'll, we'll parlay into that question later on. But Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. I mean, I feel, I'm very fortunate I grew up in a Christian home, you know, we went to church and, you know, did all the things. And then my parents would, they would, you know, once I started playing the piano, they would encourage me to play at church, like mm. do play the piano for offertory. And, you know, it was, a, it was a small church that I went to and they were like, Oh, you need to, you know, use your gifts for God or whatever. And I, I think when I was that young, I didn't know what that meant. Mm. Like, I don't get it. How, how does playing during offering, how is that, doing anything for God. Like I just, you know, it was disconnected from my younger mind. And then as I got older, like probably in high school, like I, I started playing in the, the youth praise band and mm -hmm. I was playing piano and all this stuff, but I never sang like my whole life. I never sang like when I was a kid and I was always just playing the piano for people to sing with. And then one random Wednesday night youth group for whatever reason i was like hey i'm gonna lead a song tonight at the end of our set mm. and i led worship for the first time ever and um you know no one had ever heard me sing before i don't even know if i heard myself sing <laughs> <laughs> but i did that and that that started a whole long journey where i most people don't even know about this season like i led worship and travel with a band for 15 years of mm -hmm. my life yeah i mean we we played at churches and camps and conferences and festivals and all kinds of events. I mean, that was like my, that was like what I did. Like, and we called it, the, it was the Tommy Prophet Band, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's what you know, I was known for. And then, uh, you know, in high school, really, like I just had an awesome church, an awesome youth group. And we did a lot of mission trips mm -hmm. where we would go. And like, I remember specifically when you said like, what made your relationship with God real? Like what made it like, yeah. actually, you know? That it was a mission trip to Canada when I was maybe in 10th grade. And I just felt like the things that I saw, the things that I learned, the way that God spoke to me on that trip, like it just, that was the week that my relationship with God became real, like mm -hmm. a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Versus I knew all the things and I believed, but it was like that something about that trip and um, seeing him work. And then using that to turn into a ministry and the way that he used the ministry, seeing him work when we would lead worship, you know, whether it was adults or kids and like mm -hmm. so many stories over those 15 years, like so many. And just seeing that, like, just really cemented, you know, in me, like if, if God could use me 
for some purpose for his glory. Like he could literally use anybody like, mm. and someone who, you know, I could just, I, I wasn't ever like this power. I, I never had like a super good singing voice. Like I could just kind of get the job done, like, you know, at things and had a lot of fun in concerts. And it was more about that. It was about the piano playing and the presentation, but it wasn't mm-hmm. about like my voice. Right. Right. And so I think, you know, those like all those things were just a huge part and then you know i still do things in the christian music industry but now i get to focus on my strength which you know god's really confirmed like my main passion that whole time was like the music side and the production and producing Mm -hmm. and still wanting to keep my hand in the the worship circles and do you know do a project with you know david crowder or chris tomlin and toby mack like i i enjoy still doing those things while also, you know, questioning for a little while, like, man, what's the purpose in this TV film thing? Like, mm. I know it's a job, right? People have sure. jobs all the time that are just doing, you know, there's film composers that are Christians, but they don't only score Christian movies. Right, right. You know what I mean? So well, it's the same way. We, I use this all the time. You have you hire a plumber. You're not hiring just a Christian plumber. He plums. Maybe he's a Christian. Exact maybe same he's not. Thing. Yeah. Exactly only for thing. pastors, though. He better only plumb for pastors. Right. <laughs> So, you know, obviously I'm kidding. That that's yeah. like the thing. And so luckily, you know, most of the people that I work with in the TV film world, the cinematic music stuff, like they're believers or they know that I am and like that's just opened up really cool conversations. Like, you know what I mean? And yeah. I've had I've had some cool moments actually in some rooms where people like start to ask questions and they're so intrigued and like they're like, wait, but you're not like judging me for you know for this and i'm like Mm. well yeah like that's not why would i do that you know i think they need to hang out with someone who's just a peer and a collaborator someone who's creative with them and like we're making something and this is going really well yet i'm not being judged and there's you know that some people have some bad experiences i think so i think it's really important that we develop these relationships and create some positive experiences and encouragement you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, as those doors are open to, to share. And I mean, a lot of people I've found have asked questions and been, you know, motivated and encouraged to look into things that they might not have, you sure. know, if, if I had made the decision to never go in any room other than writing Christian songs, it, you know, I, I know a lot of things that wouldn't have happened if I had done that, you know? Yeah. So it's it's cool to see like how God can work in all of those situations. Well, I'd be interested in digging a little deeper into this because I, I I can think of a lot of people that I'm aware of who say I just can't share my faith. I just can't share who I am. And and yeah. what you were saying is that people started asking you questions. Well, how did they know that they could ask you questions? How did you let them know that you were a Christian that they would want to even ask about about Christianity and your beliefs? Well, a lot of a lot of people might know just because they know what I've worked on. I mean, I mean, not that you know just from that, but they know that I've, I've I'm coming from a Christian publisher or a Christian label, working with Christian you know music or whatever. Um, but there's been little things I I didn't even notice. Like you know, I was in a session one time I remember and something ha- something happened. Everyone was like excited, and I was like, oh man, gosh, dang it. Like I said, gosh, dang it. And he, this guy like looked at me and goes, I heard that. And I was like, what? Like, I didn't even know what he was talking about. He's like, you're a religious man, aren't you? Interesting. (laughs) And I was like, wow, just from like 
choosing that word, you know yeah. what I mean? He like picked up and he started asking me questions, you know, and you know, he shared some of his story and I don't know. It's just like, it's funny how people could pick up on things, but just sometimes it's just not always participating, you know, in something that everyone else is and, you know, being unashamed about it. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is kind of just, this is what I do. And I feel like when they sense peace or hope in you, like people are people without peace or hope sometimes are drawn to that. You know what I mean? And I've had a lot of friends share that same kind of thing where they're like, man, like I've noticed people are drawn to asking me questions when they're unsettled because, you know, think about it. if they don't have that hope, they're kind of always just surrounded by the world mm -hmm. and like that kind of um, perspective. And they don't have that perspective where it's like, well, we can just look up and know that this is temporary and kind of, you know, re recalibrate our heart and our mind. Like if they're not able to do that, they're just, man, they're just run over by the world and all of the things that are destroying everybody these days, you know? So, um, yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's important to like keep that in mind that we stay on track in the background because you never know when it's going to come in handy to, you know, help pull someone else, you know, out of something that they're dealing with or. Well, you talked about the relationship piece. You have these professional relationships with these people, but you're not going in there and you're not offensive and, you know, you don't stink because you didn't shower and you don't, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm thinking of the <laughs> of the the physical things that either draw us or detract us from people, but that can happen in personality and all of that. And if you've got the love of God shining through you, and if, you sh if you're showing what Jesus has done to change your life just by your normal actions, then it does become attractive, right? And it becomes, oh, that's somebody I want to hang out with because they're just cool to hang out with. Yeah, exactly. I think that's important. You have this friendship and they're like, maybe they don't know the first several times that they hang out with you, you know, where your relationship with God is at, or it just doesn't come up or they don't think about it. You know, they're, we're working they focus on that. And then when they find out, like, you know, most of the time it's like, it, I don't think it's as divisive as it appears to be sometimes these days where it's like, Oh, the second I find out that you believe in God, I write you out of my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's just, that just hasn't been my experience. Not that it doesn't happen. It it does, I'm sure. But if you have like just a you know a relationship and you're hitting it off with somebody, and like I think most of the time they're curious more than turned off by that. Every week, I send out a newsletter to about 500 people that are praying for artists. And uh, how can we specifically be praying for you in the weeks and the months coming up ahead? Man, I know immediately right now. Uh, this Sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't know, you know, and I have to think about it. Right now, man, I think I'm just, I'm so swamped. And I now we all are, right? We're all so busy. We have so many things, but like, I think I'm just like in a place where like, I just really need to figure out like, just, I guess clear direction on things to to say yes to and things to say no to. And I, I've finally learned how to say no. I, I've been doing it for years now. And I feel like even if I say no to everything, I'm still just not, I can't get on top of it. So I think just, you know, just more clear direction on 
exactly where to go next, you know, with all of this stuff, like what's the next project? What's the thing? And God, I'm thankful that you're letting me choose, but I just, I'm so bad with decisions. Like give me an idea and make that one stand out and close the other doors. You know what I mean? Things like that. But um, yeah, I think just clear direction. I, I would love to figure out more ways to do projects like this Christmas album that would be like powerful and have deeper meaning, you know, and just, you know, being shown what those are and making sure that I have the bandwidth to actually do them and not have to wait another 15 years like I did <laughs> for this Christmas album. I'd like to thank Tommy Prophet for sharing his songs and time with us today. You can find this record anywhere you buy or stream your music, and I would sure recommend you pick it up and add it to your Christmas music collection. All of the songs used in this episode are from Tommy Prophet's album, The Birth of a King, and are used with his permission. Thanks to each of you for listening to this podcast this year, and from my family to your family, Merry Christmas. Now, let's celebrate the birth of a king. Here is Tommy Prophet with special guest Stenage and their song, Noel, He is Born. Merry Christmas, everyone. The first Noel, the angel did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay in fields where they lay keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so
As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes and rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at CCMExchange. Or you can always drop me an email on the website ChristianMusicArchive.com. I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. So until then, remember this. God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. <laughs>